Hi, my name is Britton LaRue. This is Moon to Moon, where I like to talk about how I work with the rhythm of the lunar cycle to cultivate empowering change, pleasure, and healing that supports me. And this is what I do with people as a consulting astrologer, as a tarot reader, as an intuitive guide, as a teacher of the symbolic languages of the tarot and astrology. I do a lot of things. I write workbooks um, on the signs and how to live with them to support your empowering change. Um, And Moon to Moon is a place where I pop in every week or two weeks to touch base with where we are astrologically and speak about how to work with that symbolic language to support ourselves in anything that we're in. Just yesterday, I was working with a client and she was sharing a lot of her story and she said, you probably, you probably hear some really fucked up stories. <laughs> and I've had somebody else once wonder like the kind of people that I t- attract and the kind of stories that I hear. And she said, you know, you probably reach, you know, people who reach out to you are probably pretty vulnerable. And I kind of knew what she meant in that moment. And I just want to say that the people that I attract they may be like in the shit or they may have had some intense stories, but that's okay. I'm, we can't work through those stories unless we're willing to really look at them and talk about them and deal with them. And I'm, I'm not afraid by people's fucked up stories. I've always been the friend that people come and talk about how they're fucked up with because I I just can still see the beautiful essence in somebody and I know that it's worth looking at that stuff because that's what has helped me so much and yeah they're vulnerable but it's not the kind of vulnerable that makes them easily manipulated and naive it's vulnerability that comes from incredible strength It comes from the bravery to stand, to look at ways we have maybe shown our more shadowy sides and want to feel better and come back into self-love. And we have to move through that vulnerability in order to reach the yummy empowerment on the other side of that. So yes to vulnerability. I attract people who are intelligent, innovative, creative, deep, articulate, really incredible people. Um, I love the people that I attract in my community. So if you're listening to this, thank you for being part of my community. And um, I value you. In this episode, I go pretty mystic, um, kind of just like laying myself bare there. Um, this isn't. This is because a lot of the episode is inspired by a past life regression experience that I had that I talk about. And right before I pl- pressed record, I attempted to, or I, I did, I facilitated for myself a way to meet myself at that past life and meet 
um, like my, my guidance from that past life. And I talk about what I learned there. The episode and the topics were inspired by this dark moon that we're in in Taurus and the transitional liminal space we are between the Taurus cycle and the Gemini cycle and really trying to think about all that we've been through and all that we've learned. So I've been having a lot of more intellectual aha moments about this, about the transitional zone between those two signs and how Taurus speaks to in many ways, among many things, to how we establish our core values and speak them through our voice, through our vocal cords, through our throat. And how as we move into Gemini, we're inspiring with our lungs and we're living our choices with our hands and what we grasp for and who we love and how we love and how those are tied together and how we want to understand what we learned in Taurus before, before we really get into Gemini. And we're already in big Gemini. Um, I talk about that in the last episode. So I used the tarot cards associated with those signs to really ground us into that discussion, um, which are the Hierophant and the Lovers. And I promise you, if you don't know anything about tarot, if you feel really new to this kind of conversation, I really... I think that one of my skills is to be able to talk about things at a pretty high and deep level so that even like intermediate advanced people get a lot while also um, including total newbies. So don't run away if you're feeling intrigued but worried that like you won't be able to keep up, so to speak, with the vocabulary. You should be fine. And so then what I really wanted to do is consider how these thematics tie together um, with some healing that I've been doing lately around my voice and around speaking vis-a-vis in particular like a long, long, long history that I have of choking up and not being able to speak my voice in truth and in power around certain people that have strong toxic masculine and I say people because it doesn't have to be like a male identifying person that has toxic masculine, right? Like we're all masculine and feminine. What I talk about some in this episode is how they're important the rebalancing of the masculine and feminine is within each of us. The title comes from something that I heard in deep meditation and I don't talk about that to the end of the episode. So I hope you will stick around and listen. And of course, if you are enjoying this message, if you enjoy this podcast, please, please, please rate it and review it because it really helps me out and it helps me find other people. And it's an example of beautiful reciprocity between us. I would love it if you subscribed so that you can hear future episodes as they appear. I usually can't get it together to do these things way in advance of like the moment of the energies because I just really like recording when I'm in the energies that I'm talking about. So I am recording this then in the dark moon of Taurus, Taurus's cycle. The moon is in Taurus, but the sun is now in Gemini. Tomorrow is the new moon. So thank you so much for listening and uh, enjoy.
I'm recording this on May 20th, 2020. It's a Wednesday afternoon. The sun moved into Gemini this morning and the moon is currently traveling through Taurus. So it's a special day and so is tomorrow because we're in this kind of liminal zone where the sun season is renewing itself with um, its entry into a different sign. We're now in Gemini. And at the same time, it's very much the end of a cycle because the moon is now back where it was at the new moon in Taurus on April 22nd. And so we're moving through the territory where we had initially had a beginning. We had had an initiation into Taurus. And so at the dark moon, it's a really nice time, I think, to consider all that you've been learning, to think about what it was, like what just happened? What did I just learn? How did it go? What went so well? What do I really cherish that came to me in the last four weeks? And what did I bump up against and what felt really hard and what might have been the blocks that I gave myself or that the world seemed to be giving me that um, were hard. And in doing this kind of inventory, I like the word inventory, doing this inventory, I'm able to get clear on like the actual distillation of the lesson. Sometimes it's one thing, sometimes it's lots of things. Because even as I'm saying goodbye to everything that that just was, like, and we're complete, like starting a new cycle on Friday, I also feel like I really want to know exactly what I'm bringing with me, right? Because I've become very certain that it's just, it's such an important thing to understand the tools that we have, like what's in the backpack, so to speak, on this journey of life? What do we have with us? What have we been learning? So that in any given moment, we're really clear about what our skill sets are, what our dispositions are, what our um, approaching styles are, how we inspire, how we annoy. (laughs) What have we been through to know what we've learned are good things to have or not have if we go through something like that again. And then we're just like prepared, right? Like we're like these prepared people and new things will come up and then we add new tools to the backpack every single round. And in doing this too, it allows me to feel like I can get by facing my roadblocks, usually erected internally in some kind of like mindset block that I have, I'm able to identify like what I'd like to melt away or like what I'd like to love more, what I would like to, you know, really sit down and have a conversation with within myself, what I would like to identify the origin stories around and just like get closer to my truth and that continues to feed me back by giving me more self-esteem 
teaching my unconscious that I take care of myself, teaching my unconscious that I can do this, <laughs> teaching myself that I can trust myself. And um, all of these practices may sound like a like waste of time to my older self or to someone listening perhaps. Like how do you make time for that? Um, but there's a lot of things that I get, have given up that I used to engage in that I don't engage in anymore in order to make space for these practices because I've just found them to make my life better. And so I teach my unconscious that I value my life by getting clear on like what I just don't have time to do anymore because I wanna make space for these practices. And I also wanna have a lot of energy to teach these practices and talk about them so that's that's part of the point of sitting down and recording this now just really like the bubbling up of like oh yeah that's what the big learning has been whoa there it is okay let's let's talk about it it soothes me to put words on what i've been learning there's a train so what really came forward as a, a way into this conversation about letting go of Taurus and bringing in Gemini energy, I felt a kind of constellation of ideas around the card associated with Taurus, the Hierophant, and the card associated with Gemini, the Lovers. The Hierophant is card number five, the Lovers is card number six, so they're right next to each other in the spiral of the major arcana of the tarot, just like they're right next to each other in the, um, the, zodiac, the zodiac, the zodiacal calendar. So let me just tell you up front that it's completely fine if you don't know anything about the tarot. It's completely fine if you don't know much about Taurus and you don't know much about Gemini you don't identify with them completely fine because I'm going to use language in order to help it all resonate without needing to having to have known anything going into this. So, um, but first let me just say that you are Taurus and Gemini um, because you are all 12 signs and your chart has all 12 signs. In your chart, there are 12 houses, which represent spheres or departments of life. And each of those houses is governed by a different sign, meaning you approach a part of your life like each sign. So somewhere in your chart, you're like a Taurus and some part of your life, you're like a Gemini, even if you don't know it yet. So I'll just say that. So, let me just ground us then into the Hierophant and talking about what that card is about and talking about how it relates to Taurus. It's an important card for me because it's what you can call like my life card or my soul card because you can add up my birth date, March 4th, 1978, and then you get a total number and then you would... Um, you would break it down so it was a number 21 or less. 
And so if you add all that up, it breaks down eventually to five. You can, this is a Googleable thing, how to figure out your life card. And so for me, the card number five is my life card and that's the Hierophant and that works really well. And I will get into why it works well for me now. Uh, but just to kind of like frame this discussion, I'm going to talk about the Hierophant and then create a weaving strand to talking about the lovers, which is the card for Gemini. And, um, and then I'm going to share with you some things that came through in deep meditation that I just had. Um, and I'll talk more about that when I get to it. So the Hierophant is a card that in the traditional Smith Rider weight deck, which is the deck that is sort of like the common tongue, the common language in the world of the tarot, um, you see this Pope-looking guy, this kind of bishop-looking person with a big hat, speaking, hands up, speaking a kind of liturgy, like a sacred word. And then in the foreground, in the bottom corners, you see the backs of two heads, which we just interpret as like acolytes, you know, students of the teacher, people that are listening. And the card of the Hierophant that I have in front of me right now is from the Lioness Oracle, which is a deck that's really beautiful and I really love it. And the creator of this deck calls number five the High Priest, which is like easier for all of us to understand because nobody uses the word hierophant anymore. <laughs> so the high priest, and then um, she created a collage, a photo collage with an owl looking down at a yellow rose with a key laid on top of it. And above the owl's head are these two kind of angel figures looking up to the sky, and it looks like these were um, collaged from an artwork by William Blake. But I actually have not looked into like the exact art historical background of this, but I'm like 99.5% sure that these are William Blake illustrations because I just am familiar with William Blake's work with my background in art history. So um, in this card, what's cool is that it brings in these other elements like what do we know about an owl? What do we know about a key? You know, like what do we know about angels? So the thing about the tarot is it's very um, visually evocative. And the idea is that the, the visual elements in the card, the choices of the artist uh, evoke in us, they like spark in us, an intuitive kind of recognition of uh, how we resonate with the things that are pictured. And so when you, um, the deeper you go into the tarot, the more it's lovely to have multiple decks. So then your association bank, so to speak, is um, opened and um, expanded because like, now, instead of just thinking about a bishop-type person, I'm also thinking about an owl, for example, for the Hierophant, the high priest. Um, so that's just some of like the visual components. And I'll include pictures of these cards in my Instagram account, at Britton LaRue, if you want to go there. Or you can, of course, always Google these images. 
So let me read from my Living the Science Taurus workbook, the section that I created on the Hierophant um, and because I, I think that I, I clarify really well here like what I would want to say right now to you about Taurus and the Hierophant. The card associated with Taurus in the tarot is the Hierophant. Traditionally, the Hierophant is a card associated with religious or other institutional leaders, speakers, and teachers who teach from a position of expertise, training, certification, and other forms of culturally determined positions of authority, right? So in the traditional Smith-Rider-Waite, you see the, the bishop-looking guy standing like to ding in our heads like this idea of some culturally determined position of authority, right? We presume like this person's had training, right? This person's like got some degrees. They've, they're probably from a lineage of teachers and institutions. Like if you go to their website, there's probably a page with like a gazillion culturally determined markers that somebody is worth listening to, right? And then the other, um, well, I'll get to that in a second, but so the Hierophant, just like at a most basic level, you're looking at this concept of like, oh, that person probably knows what they're talking about, right? Hierophant, hieroglyphics, and hierarch have a common root. Hieros, I don't know if I'm saying that right, a Greek word meaning sacred. Hierophant joins that root with a derivative of phainine, which means to show, again, don't know if I'm saying it right. The original Hierophants were priests of the ancient Greek city of Eleusis who performed sacred rites. Okay, so Hierophant means then from the root to show something sacred, like the shower of the sacred, someone who's bringing something sacred out into the into whoever's looking, right? And we associate these priest-type people with a time of year when fertility rites were celebrated, which is Taurus season, when you're celebrating between the spring equinox that initiates Aries and the summer solstice that initiates Cancer. You have the, um, on the Celtic wheel of the year, we call it Beltane, but it has different names depending on the culture where priests were overseeing some kind of community celebration of the return of spring, the return of food, crops, like surviving the, the winter, like life continues the entire life, birth, life process, which is everywhere we look. It is a huge part of um, a human experience because it's part of natural experience and we are part of nature. So the Hierophant in its root is a person that helps oversee sacred rites um, and helps like create the opportunity for showing the sacred. In the Smith Rider Wait deck, I'm reading again, we see this Pope-like speaker standing before two figures pictured from behind. From their frozen positions, we presume they are intently listening. 
This is the first card in the Major Arcana of the Tarot that depicts more than one figure. So there is a clear emphasis here on the relational influence at play. So I think that that's really important. If each of the cards of the Major Arcana, and if you're new to the Tarot, um, then follow me with this line. If each of the cards of the Major Arcana are us, and there are different facets of us in different phases of us as we're going about this business of trying to be human beings in nature, in a spiral of life that is marked by life, death, life processes, then um, part of what we do as humans is that we speak and people listen. And sometimes we listen as people speak. So this is inherent to the card. At one end of the spectrum, the Hierophant is a card that reflects the ways in which you lean on your degrees and your titles to help yourself feel powerful. I say that, or I write, I wrote that as someone who spent most of her life trying to attain degrees and trying to attain titles so that I could feel like I had my offering was worthwhile to the world. Reading again. The Hierophant points to how you parrot the dogma of tradition and puff yourself up with how expertly you spew its formulas. I'm saying this somewhat playfully here because, right, like we learn as children to recite things. We learn to um, parrot dogma. We do. It's okay. Like we are taught to say certain things and to um, memorize things for tests. And this is part of our schooling and our um, domestication as children is that we, we learn like who can be really good at reciting what they just were told, right? And I'm saying this with compassion to myself because my younger self just really wanted to do a good job at what, my, what I was being trained to do. The Hierophant reveals how you have been conditioned by your teachers, parents, and bosses, and how you then participate in the conditioning of your students, children, and underlings. So we do this, like this is something humans do. Like we, we learn the rules, we follow the rules, and then we tell other people what those rules are, whether that's religious or just institutional. I think institutional may be a better keyword. So that's kind of one way of thinking about this card is like, what is my relationship to dogma? What is my relationship to processing rules that I've listened to and then um and then how do I give those back out to other people in an expectation that they receive my rules and I've done that I've been a university teacher um I still am actually I um have a different approach to it now but you know a lot of what you have to do in art history is make sure people can tell like what you know what decade that artist produced that work in and what the exact title is and what was the medium and like there's a lot of like facts and certain things that 
and methodologies that you teach students. It's just part of the academic institutional process, just like all institutions, everybody becomes skilled and able, hopefully, to be able to like understand the structure of the rules, you know, so that then we're like maintaining the purity of the discipline, right? And then some over time, like the rules begin to change and people push against the paradigm and things shift, but there's this kind of constant battle between tradition and um, pushbacks against tradition. And that's just the nature of like all learning systems. And the Hierophant is part of that in terms of like, how, where do I fit in in that? Like, what's my relationship to that kind of part of human experience? The thing that um, is tricky with our inherited systems is that we often don't recognize when something is like an ideology or just a framing device because we perceive it and digest it as truth. We, we interpret it as just the way things are. And it really takes a lot of critical thinking and even the privilege of being trained in critical thinking to recognize like that's an ideology. Like, or that's, that's like a framing device. I don't have to accept that. You know, like I, I'm, and it can be very tender to um, detangle from the framing devices and the ideologies of like family in our communities because we have an anthropological um, stake in the game of surviving and we don't want to survive on our own. So the hierophant is tricky. At the, I'm reading again now. At the other end of the spectrum, the Hierophant is a wildly liberating invitation to go on a journey of discovering your own unique voice. The Hierophant offers you the red pill to wake up and obliterate the matrix of narratives that have had you numb to your own authentic opinion, viewpoint, and position. The Hierophant asks you to get humble and let go of hierarchies of authority and get clear on what you actually believe from your lived experience and embodied experience as a human being, right? So like, if you've been taught that all of this kind of people are like this and you just don't ever question it, like you're just in unskillful hierophant, you know, like, the only way to learn what you really believe is to go and actually have encounters that like give you some empirical evidence about whether that framing and whether that point of view is actually true from your embodied experience. Reading again. My first encounter with this card was the version from Kim Krantz's The Wild Unknown. Her deck depicts the tarot with only non-human figures. Her hierophant depicts a crow cawing up to the sky as lightning flashes. In its talons, the crow holds a key. And that's similar to the key that we see in the Smith Rider Waite. And we also see a key in the lioness that I was talking about earlier. To me, this card symbolizes the doors of perception that open, the key, 
when we let in the light of lightning, intuitive knowing, authentic wisdom, and cosmic consciousness. The Hierophant relates to Taurus in two important ways. First, Taurus relates to your values. And as already discussed, the more authentic you can get about your values, deprogramming from cultural, familial, and institutional conditioning, the more you deepen into that part of you that is most securely rooted. Because Taurus is a fixed earth sign. It's about how you root into your values. The Hierophant reflects and celebrates the Taurus in you that is loyal to your unique values. Yours. Only yours. How do you know who you are separate from the values that you were trained in, right? That's what's so tricky about Hierophant and why it's so liberating. Second, Taurus and medical astrology rules the throat and vocal cords. When you speak from your most authentic truth, you make choices and create influence. That's the other people listening. You make choices and create influence in ways that honor your body, your resources, and your values. The Hierophant via Taurus prompts me to ask the question, is this thing I'm saying mine or someone else's? Is this belief mine or someone else's? Is this argument mine or someone else's? Is this fear mine or someone else's? And I have an asterisk there where I write, I first learned the powerful phrasing, is this mine or someone else's from my teacher, Deborah Crummins. And you can find out about Deborah, who's amazing at intuitionmed.com. So I write, just to finish up, there's only a little more from the book. Alignment here is essential to this card and to my own values. The throat is a vulnerable part of your body. You can be strangled at the throat. You can have your throat cut. You can be hung by the throat. You can be bitten by a vampire. Clearing and healing the throat chakra is a powerful exercise to begin connecting with the Hierophant. Often you have other people's energy in your throat, including collective and media energy. Yes, 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 yes. And then you don't even realize it, which prevents the force of your clearest self-expression. I know this from my own experience, which is why I make a practice of regularly clearing and opening my throat chakra, calling in 100% ownership of my throat. So, and then I just add like a little bit that says, I highly recommend the Tibetan sound bowl healing, um, chakra healing videos of temple sounds. It's all one word, temple sounds on YouTube. Look for the ones on the fifth chakra for um, th- clearing the throat. And so um, just a simple thing that you can do right now is if like you imagine a kind of light source at your throat, whole throat area, imagine light in your throat that emanates from deep within your throat out forward. You can try to open that light, open that breathing through your throat, opening it up 
Imagine this kind of light source opening up and breathing in and out of it to kind of like clear, clear it with clear light. Notice how it feels. It's okay if it's uncomfortable. That's information for you. And breathe in and out of your throat. People who have a really high calling or just have a calling to be speakers, you know, um, can often have like throat issues because it's like there's a lot of demand on the throat. And um, the more you care for your throat and love on your throat and clear your throat regularly, clearing the throat of other people's energies, asking yourself, is anybody else's energy in my throat? And identifying those things and imagining them leaving your space, the more you can um, clarify your clear, authentic voice. This has been on my mind a lot. Um, I'm reading this book called The Speech of the Grail, A Journey Towards Speaking That Heals and Transforms by Linda Sussman. And I'm sure that I'm going to have a lot more to say about that, this book in the future, because I'm only in the beginning and it's already like, oh my gosh, how have I not been reading this? But she talks about Parsifal's... Um, journey to find the grail and to understand the grail this is from like you know arthurian tales as a kind of journey to understand the healing nature of speech um and linda asks here like who's linda sussman asks like who's somebody that would need to also experience this quest like who who would be a candidate for also wanting to understand like more clear, authentic speech that heals? And she writes, anyone who was ever in a position to say something important to somebody else. Yes, she writes, there are professions where speaking is the definitive activity, dot, dot, dot. But specializations of the speaking, which happens daily and everywhere in human relationships, like these are also important. The speech between spouses, the speech between parents and children, the speech between business associates, lovers, enemies, and friends. So she talks about um, Parsifal's story as a journey and as an initiation to like claiming your own voice, claiming your own types of speech. And this to me is a continuation of everything that I'm talking about with the Hierophant and very much feels present to me in terms of what kind of journey that I've been on in this last month. And this may resonate for you. She, she writes, to, this journey is not an external one, nor is the aim to produce a product, some kind of unerringly profound speech. Rather, the initiation slowly transforms all aspects of the initiate speaker so that the person can more consciously inhabit language and speaking. In the word inhabit, if the word inhabit seems questionable, Consider the meanings of the first two letters of the alphabet. Alpha means the one who experiences breath, i.e. the human being, while beta 
refers to an enveloping and closing quality like that of a house. Alphabet would thus mean human being in house, which just like, ugh, I just love that. We inhabit language. Then she writes, inhabiting language entails more than vocal articulation. The initiate speaker ventures towards an experienced sense of an eternal conditional I, unconditional I, very different from the conditioned I of the worldly ego. This means to become word-like in oneself and thereby in one's actions, including speaking. In Christianity, the incarnate word, the Logos, is Christ, and thus is not irrelevant to the initiate speaker, meaning the reader here, or merely a cultural nicety. A definitive yearning burns within the people who are called to speak, including those who feel authentically called to a profession where speaking is central. This yearning is to communicate in the sense of commune with, this is so great. Um, so then she goes on to talk about like how communicating in terms of like commune with is when we acknowledge love in our speech. And it's not about like, as she's saying, becoming perfect and like, wow, I'm just so dazzling of a speaker. Like, wow, I should be, like, hired to do graduation speeches. <laughs> but um, rather, it's, it's about, like, coming deeper into um, away from your ego to a more sense of um, your authentic self, deconditioned, deprogrammed from the ways where you're speaking, where you're just mimicking what you've been taught and how you've been taught to speak and what you've been taught to say, and like unlearning all of that to find your unique voice, that in that process, we meet people in like a more heart-based, love-based way. That, and then that is how we have speech that heals. So, very, very moving to me. This may not resonate with everyone, but to those of you uh, who resonate with the Hierophant story and this idea of like, how do you find your voice? What do you, um, what do you know you're here to say? Like, it's a process of reclaiming the self that takes the rest of your life. It's a constant process. And for me, like just so many years of just being terrified to go off my notes, you know, just terrified that I would be revealed as an imposter. Someone would stand up and be like, she doesn't have a PhD. She shouldn't be teaching us. And like the revolution would begin and they would like carry me out of the lecture hall, like burn her, you know, like I'm not even joking though just serious imposter syndrome is um, kind of like part and parcel of being in academia or being in so many um, disciplines where your job is to be the expert. 
you know, like, I am the expert with my degrees, you know, and I just found that I wasn't really helping anyone and I certainly just felt worse about myself. So I had to go on a spiritual journey that I'll always be on of um, deprogramming from this uh, false notion of perfection and expertise in order to drop into the heart and um, be okay with just showing up imperfect and as authentically as possible. And I do believe it's working <laughs> in my work and it's certainly less exhausting for sure, less depleting. It's more um, cultivating of clear connections and friendships and meaningful moments between me and another human being. And it only drops deeper as I trust this process. So I'm so excited to finish this book over time. And, you know, given that it's Gemini season, I'll probably be reading 15 books. <laughs> but uh, I eventually will move through it. And I will probably want to talk a lot about it on this um, podcast and in this space. So we move into Gemini. And with that move then in the tarot, we're moving then into the lovers, the lovers as the card that is associated with Gemini in the major arcana. And so the lovers has its own, its own teachings that I would like to talk to you about through my workbook and kind of like riff off what I've already written. And I also want to be really like keeping this bridge and like keeping this threshold of like how to move from Taurus into Gemini and like hold the tools, like what was learned in the throat, what was learned with your voice, what was learned about your values in this past lunar cycle. What have you learned about being able to state what you need? What have you learned about um, maybe how structures or systems that you tr were trusting in maybe aren't as trustworthy or as like affirming and consoling as you wish that they were. So how can you start to stand up for yourself and like trust in yourself instead of trusting in um, overarching systems to take care of us? And so we come then into lovers bringing with us what we've learned from the Hierophant. We come into Gemini bringing with us what we learned in Taurus season. So the lover's card, let me, let me talk about it to you from the book. And I also want to talk to you about the Lioness or Oracle's version as well. This is from then the workbook. The Lovers is a card which structurally underlines the dynamism of the number three, Gemini's numeral, because Gemini is the third sign and um, the number three feels really important to the Lovers card, which is number six, which is, you know, three plus three. In this traditional Smith Rider weight deck, we see a man, a woman, and an angel overseeing both. My approach to the tarot is that all cards are you, 
and all humans in each card are you and whoever is receiving or whoever is receiving the reading. This goes contrary to tradition, which will assign certain cards to people in your life. Traditionally, when you received this card, the reading would become about someone in your life with whom you are in relationship. The lovers as being about two human beings in love, being in flow, feeling connected. Within the visual structure of the card, I see the lovers as the self, the not self, and the super self. This can mean a lot of things. Let's try to tease it out. The self, the person I think I am including all of my limiting beliefs, internalized biases, long-running narratives, perceptions of failure, and unprocessed shadow work, right? Our self has all those things. It's okay. We work with them. The not-self, that thing or person or identity or lifestyle that I think I need to feel complete or better or whole or more aspirational, right? Like we put this, we have this like thing that's outside of us that um, is better than us. It's not us. It's like better than us in some way, the not self. The super self, who I am at a spirit level, at the level of universal love and cosmic consciousness. And in the Smith Rider Rate card, that's depicted as an angel with a big, huge sun behind it. Just as Gemini medicine is about learning that the quest for the thing is the thing we're wanting, so the quest being really important to Gemini, which I explained earlier in the workbook, so the lover's card teaches us to recognize that everything we call not self that we love, feel attracted to, and want so badly to complete us is actually already in us. The reason we're attracted to people, ideas, places, and ideals is because they are lighting up and resonating with something we always have within. Through the dynamism of the triangle, the lover's card returns us home to ourselves to help us see that we hold all the love we need already. So that is part of my riff on the lover's card and then I in the next pages have a spread for working with the lovers where you basically have placements for self not self and super self in order to identify um, some kind of healing message for yourself to help you um, come into this beautiful right relationship in that triangle with yourself the the key question being for the spread what is the loving invitation to connect with radical self-love at this time. And that being what the lovers is about. So, you know, I think there's like such an interesting bridge, and this is why I want to talk about these topics. There's such an interesting bridge between Gemini being an air sign, you know, it's about mental frameworks then it's about how we communicate it's about how we relate it's about how we seek mental stimulus it's about how the brain works and interprets and perceives it's about how we make meaning and we just decide what things mean and thus it's also about how we tell stories how we tell stories about ourselves to other people and so 
there's an interesting bridge there from the Hierophant being about speaking and being about like showing the sacred through the throat, bridging and then Taurus in medical astrology being related to the throat and the vocal cords, bridging us into Gemini, which takes us into the relationship we have to our lungs and to our hands, things that come in pairs like twins of the Gemini, and how now we're kind of like being tested in terms of have we learned how to move from the heart, like how we've how we channel and do we channel information through the heart? I remember Caroline, Carolyn, Caroline Mace, M Y S S, once saying in a um, series of lectures that I ordered from her something about um, when we are judging people, when we want to like diminish people or like um, decide who we think people are, right? Those are narratives. That, that's meaning making. When we decide we think who somebody is, we, we decide like, oh, they're probably like this, right? I mean, I'm saying that as a human being who's done these things like five million times and plus. When we create these narratives, um, what Caroline was saying is that we we block uh, we block our meaning making from moving through the heart because if we hear people through the heart if we drop into the heart in our communication with people or in our attempts to understand people it's impossible to be very judgmental because we move into empathy we move into compassion we move into like understanding that people have reasons why they ended up being the way they are and that we can never really fully understand that anybody else's sets of tools and circumstances we just can't we cannot understand other people's realities so there's really no point in deciding what anyone's reality personality identity means because there's no way to do that especially and if you're not moving from your heart space then you're definitely not dropping into any levels of compassion. And likewise with ourselves. Like if we take the lover's card to be about ourselves, then we have to be in the heart when we're talking to ourselves. Like when we, when we have a narrative that says, I'm terrible with money. If you have a narrative that says, um, they probably can't stand me. If you have a narrative that says people are laughing at this podcast, you know, I'm just like naming a few that my brain likes to tell me. Then it's just like, if you bring yourself into the heart, and this is something that I was talking um, about on the Magic Monday podcast recently, and Natasha Levinger on that podcast was, was emphasizing the heart here, which is so correct. And I was telling her how Venus is the esoteric ruler of Gemini, that we really hear people when we hear with, through the heart. And I know it can sound a little bit like sappy, but why not? Like, 
I just got tired of not operating from the heart because it just wasn't, it just was no longer right and authentic for me. Um, and when you do that, you have to give people more time and energy, which means you really have to be picky and choosy about your time then. You know, the, the more we can be picky and choosy about in our attempts to get specific about who we are and melt away who we are not, the more we create space for the kinds of meaningful conversations and the kinds of meaningful interactions that we want to have time and space and energy for. And we just don't bother with the ones that, like, they're just not feeding us, you know? This is what I found to be true. So another way that I think that we can work also with the lovers and with the Hierophant in terms of getting clear in our voice and our choices. Gemini is very much about choices. Um, is allowing ourselves to always sit back deep into the um, deeper mind and the deeper into the third eye, deeper into the sixth chakra, the deeper part of the head, and like really like I even physically like to sit myself back like almost like I'm in a throne not a throne to be like lordly and powerful but to be calm cool and collected and discerning and really just sit in with like does this feel true is this mine or someone else's is this thing I'm saying to myself actually here and present you know and that can really help and I say all this to especially underline like self-care right now. I refer you back to my previous podcast episode where I talk about the astrology of the period that we're in. But we have a lot of retrogrades. Venus is retrograde in Gemini. And so there can be a lot of brain wonky brain chemistry right now that really um, can be nourished and helped by um, strong boundaries with things that throw our brain into like crazy narratives and um, by practices that allow us to sit deeper into the head to come into like clear truths that really are here for us. Something that I loved um, is noticing when I looked at the lioness oracle version of the lovers here you see two what look like Greek statues of a man and a woman kind of turned to each other and this like look of embrace, like love. And she's reaching across to the place of his heart. And as their eyes are meeting, her hand is on his heart. And it's just like the perfect picturing of what I'm thinking about here. And the deeper thing that I'm thinking about here is that the more I have done work to heal my own inner masculine and inner feminine and the balance between my masculine and feminine energies, to be authentic with them in a hierophant way of like, 
weaning out what I've learned about feminine from like magazines and culture and guys that I went to high school with and clearing the masculine in me of examples of toxic masculinity or narratives that I can't be masculine as a female identifying person and really just getting so practiced at touching base with my masculine and feminine inside me. I see these as being in my lower belly. That's how I was taught to see them by Deborah. And um, just kind of touching base with like, am I moving from my masculine more or my feminine more today? What does my masculine need today? What does my feminine need? What kind of conversation do they need to be having right now within myself? The more that I've been able to do that internally, the more I feel like I'm manifesting relationships with other human beings that feel balanced in a masculine-feminine way, including the relationship I have with my beloved. Because it's very interesting to me that all the last two months, the card that keeps coming up for me is the lovers. And... One of the most um, clear themes in my life right now is how lucky I feel in my relationship with my beloved. And so even as I say that these cards show up to be just about ourselves, they can also, of course, be reflections of your external life because everything that's happening internally is a reflection and is in relationship to what's happening externally, right? So if you want a right relationship between masculine and feminine energies in your relationship, where your partner expresses clear masculine and feminine energies with you, then first you begin by healing the masculine feminine balance in yourself. And that's a big part of the medicine, I think, of the lover's card. Um, Because Gemini in us does want to have great relationships. We want to have these great friendships. And then we can feel really bummed out when our friendships aren't manifesting or they manifest in toxic ways or manifest in ways that have us feel like we have to be really small in order to be um, accepted by the people we're friends with. So by moving internal first and beginning the healing there, the external begins to manifest. This I've learned from my lived and embodied experience. Um, Yeah, so now what I wanted to do is share with you that like a larger theme that has to do with the past life regression this spring And some insight I just got doing my own deep meditation uh, in relationship to that earlier experience. So in early April, I promise this ties it all together. (laughs) In early April, I had a past life healing with Natasha Levinger, who I just was mentioning. She's at Highest Light Healing in Instagram. And um, we are friends and colleagues and we um, support each other and I trust her with my energy and you should, you know, vet your energy healers and make sure that you trust them. And um, something 
came up at the beginning of April around um, someone in my life, a, a toxic masculine force. And it really threw me. And I felt myself become so small. I was like a five-year-old girl. There was like a five-year-old girl in me, many ages actually, through teenager. But there was a many-aged child in me um, very afraid to speak up to this person, very afraid to use my voice, I immediately became helpless. And I knew that she would be able to help me. I didn't know it was going to be a past life deal. But she saw it pretty much instantly. And um, she shared with me that what she saw was me as like a young type, acolyte type child in in a church type place and the people in charge were all these men and I saw a lot of um, transgressions, I saw a lot of falsehoods, I saw a lot of um, oppression, I saw a lot of things and I walked away from that life and like it really, it shaped that life that to be up so close to a lot of poison and this past life entity of mine spoke to her very clearly uh, that he wanted to stay close to me as a guide and that like we were this was that this was a really big part of what my life's about which of course resonated for me because I work with the Hierophant and I I know that healing my voice and becoming like authentic in my voice is part of my life's work because I've been called to teaching since I was a little girl. Um, I have to teach. I, I, I have to. It's like what I want to do, but I want to do it in my authenticity. And um, I just loved that that came through. And she just said, if you ever want to speak to him, he's right there. He would like to not be cleared, basically. So I've been avoiding that. We avoid things that are going to empower us sometimes because we just aren't ready and that's okay, right? Like we put off this thing. We avoid making that call. Like we do stuff to avoid our own empowerment, but that's okay because there's really like a proper timing. There is. And of course, I now see that the proper timing was that it was meant to happen here at the dark moon where I'm um, wanting to talk about these themes. So I went, I tried to, um, I wanted to go into that past life because I know how to do that. Um, But it was very clear as I was attempting this, I heard the voice um, saying um, that there's nothing there for you anymore, that that past life itself has been decharged but there's stuff for you to ask. There are I heard there are questions for you to ask for now. And I was like, um, what do I need to ask? And I heard, ask what you need to do. <laughs> okay, I wrote it all down. That's how I remember. Um, and then I so I said, I what do I need to do? And I heard, you need to speak. Like immediately, you need to speak. And uh, then I heard, you need to speak the imperfect words. I heard, don't worry if it's 
resonating or not. That's the thing I worry about. Like, I'm always trying to like calm my ego. It's just like, it's okay if it doesn't resonate. Like, it's okay if people don't like it. It's okay if it didn't hit. It's okay if it's not magical. Because see, when, when you do that, you're putting, you're putting your, too much of yourself in the thing and you're not trusting that the receiver of the information will create their own kind of magical reception of the message if they need it. If they don't need it, then it won't resonate. And that's okay because they just didn't need it. It has nothing to do with me. But this, of course, I have to like walk my ego through constantly. I'm sure it will get better over time. So I heard, yeah, don't worry if it's resonating. I heard you are guided and protected. And I feel that to be very true. I think, I think that I've always known that my whole life. I heard just keep following the call of your heart. And that's when I look down and I notice the hand on the lover's card that I'd set out, which was a little teary moment. Um, I asked about my daughters and I heard your girls see you, which I just took as um, they're seeing me bloom into my authenticity because I work with guilt that I'm not exactly the same kind of mom I used to be. And um, I heard, I asked how should I, how do I bridge the Hierophant to the lovers? And I heard bridge the throat to the heart. I asked how they, specific men from my present and past who've been very kind of dominating, toxic, kind of like, old guard, old school, old money, male figures in my life, and there's too many to even begin to name. I heard, um, how do I, how do I interact with them? Or how do I deal with like these dreams I've been having lately about different men from my past who've always seemed to, um, I would always go submissive in their presence. And I just heard they're hurting too. And then I wrote, uh, I heard, but it does not concern you. Just do your work. Um, I heard, as you've created a sacred marriage within yourself, so you cultivate a sacred partnership outside yourself. I heard, you transform others without doing anything. Just be yourself. Because that's like that idea again of like trying to perform the magic on somebody, but that's not how it works. You just, you stay and do your thing and they either, people will either feel it or they won't. You listener are feeling this or you aren't and that's okay. That means this wasn't for you and that's okay. I heard the self-talk will go away, meaning mean things I say to myself. I heard it took so many years to wire, it will take time to rewire. And then I heard, um, it doesn't have to be complicated to know what you need to say. It doesn't have to be complicated to know your truth. You know, because I've um, I always kind of operated from this thing of like, 
in order for me to have something to say, I need to like read 50 books. I need to get my bibliography in order. Like I need to be done with that class. I need to take another class. I need to, da, 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 da. you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Click record, make the episode. And in truth, I already follow that. I really don't do much to prepare for these. That's okay. I'm showing up imperfectly. And finally, I really connected into what I would call um, from my teacher, Deborah, supreme being energy, which just to me, to me feels like a really intense, high vibrational power of good of good and of love for all sentient beings. And I heard, well, I saw dripping uh, iceberg and um, it felt like crying. And I heard the earth is hurting. And I knew that that meant all the beings on it, humans on it, not just like the icebergs are melting, you know, just like in a, that was just like the image that came forward to represent um, so much pain right now. And then um, I asked, you know, what do we need? And I um, just saw these visions of like this, like pulsing energy, this pulsing, um, almost like bubbling, gurgling water. And, um, and then I heard a, a geyser in the heart, which I thought was really beautiful, a geyser in the heart. And that really linked me back then to, in this beautifully synchronistic way, to the, the idea of running our messages and our interpretations through the heart to help us um, feel more compassion for ourselves and to feel more compassion to everyone um, and that the healing begins with this kind of like geyser in the heart um, call to action. So that's what I have prepared for you today, or that's at least what I planned or uh, prepared and planned are not really great key- keywords. It's more like I jotted a few things down based on it feeling sense. And then um, the knowings really came together when I was in meditation. And I hope that if you're still listening, you felt supported and um, reflected back in some ways. And I hope you will continue to learn all that you're learning. And so you can remember your tools, all the tools that you've been developing and accruing over all of your life, even from the experiences that you wish that you had never had. We especially gain tools from those. Trust that you will be supported by those tools in whatever comes your way. Please reach out if you have any shares, questions, concerns, aha moments. You can... um, Find me in the notes to this episode. Thank you so much and take care of yourself.